Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the skies and the land. Now the land was wild and waste, and darkness was on the face of the deep abyss. Now, as we just saw in our little Bible project clip, this pre-creation state was a state of nothingness, meaning that it had no purpose and no order. So you could call it a state of chaos. But in that state, God's presence was there. John Walton says, it's a powerful theological statement about God's will for creation that in its natural state, apart from his presence, existed disorder and darkness. And so it's into this non-order that God speaks and divides and organises and fills and names a place for life to flourish. So God orders his world for life to flourish and then he creates and invites partners to do life alongside him, people. And he blesses them to go and create and keep on ordering this flourishing space so that more life can be possible. And he provides for them in this place a very special sacred space called Eden a sacred place that they could share with him, a place where heaven and earth met. But also in this sacred space were two opportunities. An opportunity to have access to the tree of life so that they might forever share this flourishing good life together. But also the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Or you could say, how to live the good life according to God's definition of good. And can I just say that this good isn't a moral good, but an ordered good, a right functioning good, a harmonious good, where everything is living as God had designed it to be. Everything at peace with everything else. Everything in its right spot, doing what it was created to do, just as God had designed it. And so the scene is set. How will people choose to live? By partnering with God and allowing his definition of good to be their living? Or perhaps, will they choose to create and follow their own definition of the good life? Well, I think this morning we might all be able to agree that something went wrong in the garden because unfortunately we probably don't have to look too far to see that some sort of evil still seems to exist amongst us. And so the Bible offers us an explanation for this. Genesis 3.1. Now the serpent was most cunning of all the beasts of the field that the Lord God had made. Notice that it says it was a cunning serpent. Some other Bible translations might say crafty or shrewd. 
What do you think the motive of a cunning serpent might be? It's probably not going to have your best interest in mind, is it? Cunning. Deception, perhaps. To what end? Perhaps to reintroduce a little chaos back into this ordered garden. And so this cunning serpent engages in a little conversation with Eve. And it definitely causes her some new chaotic thinking. Genesis 3.1. It said to the woman, did God really say... You will not eat from any tree in the garden. And the woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the garden's trees we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat from it, you shall not touch it, lest you die. And the serpent said to the woman, You shall not be doomed to die. For God knows that on the day you eat, your eyes will be opened and you will become as gods, knowing good and evil. What chaos. So now what's she going to think? What was it that God really said about this tree? Why did he say I couldn't have it? Is he keeping something from me? Let's read on. Genesis 3, 6. The woman saw that the tree was good to eat and that it was an object of longing to the eyes. And the tree was desirable for giving insight. So she took of its fruit and ate and also gave to her man with her and he ate. So here's Eve having this strange conversation with a serpent because that's something you do every day. And it's caused her some tree chaos thinking. And now she's looking at this tree in a whole new way and notice the progression. The progression of her thinking. She saw that the tree was good to eat and that it was an object of longing. It was desirable. And so she took. The act to take was the resolve of her thinking progression. Her thinking that had taken place in her mind had made it all sound okay. And all this thinking had taken place in silence. It's like in these few little lines, all time has slowed down. And here she is after this strange conversation with a serpent, wondering all these new and chaotic thoughts, wrestling with fresh and new desires. And she says nothing to anybody about what's going on for her. She doesn't lean into her man, who we're told is right there. No, hey, hun. Check out the creepy looking serpent. Seriously saying some weird stuff over here. What do you think? 
She doesn't lean into God, who would have been present in this space in some way. I mean, they're living where heaven and earth meet together and dwell together. He would have been there. No, hang on a sec, serpent. Better just check in with God. Just better get, in, uh, get, better get his input into this. Just hang on a sec. Nothing. She's had no dialogue with anybody about this serpent and its claims and her own thinking. And isn't it true that we can make anything sound okay in our own minds, in our own wisdom? And isn't that the point? Isn't that the failure? Isn't that the beginning of all that's bad and wrong in the world? We've chosen to define good and bad for ourselves in the silence so often of our own thinking. We've chosen to follow our definition of good. Ever experienced this for yourself? Ever been walking down the street in town, perhaps? Probably just minding your own business. And there in the shop window is the most beautiful pair of shoes you have ever seen in your whole life. We were in Melbourne for the summer. So many shop windows. And right there in that moment, you realise just how empty your life has been because those shoes are not a part of your wardrobe. Amen. I am preaching this morning. How much more complete would life be with those shoes in it? How much more cooler I would be How much more comfortable? How much more desirable? How much more fun would life be if those shoes were a part of it? But maybe shoes aren't your thing, okay? So maybe it's hard to relate. So uh, we have our own version of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil over here. So let's pick something else, shall we? Perhaps your thing's technology the latest device. Or maybe it's knowledge. Maybe you like to know stuff. Mm, What about tools? Tools, anyone to the tools, yeah? What about control? A partner, status, coolness, cars, sex, money, kids, (laughs) fun, power. Or perhaps, like Eve, your thing's food. (laughs) Or perhaps your thing is a beautiful bunch of flowers. Now, don't get me wrong, I love a good pair of shoes. But that is not the full expression of my thing. You see, because I have a desire for beauty. 
Beauty matters to me. I love a beautiful bunch of flowers, or just flowers in general. A beautiful landscape, a beautiful exterior or interior. I love art, the theater, the ballet, refined things, good quality things, handcrafted things, unique things, a sunrise, a sunset, a little caterpillar as it walks across the footpath, I will stop to appreciate. I've been known to shed tears over a good book, a good movie, a good song, or even just a good commercial. <laughs> a bumblebee as it bumbles around in my garden, my wardrobe, that yes, I tend every change of season just to make sure that it's aesthetically workable, yet still I never have anything to wear. Now you might consider my desire to be silly, and pointless, or perhaps not even very relevant, or maybe not even as important as maybe some others. And perhaps maybe I've struggled with that too, and the shame that it invites. But is the desire for beauty wrong? Did God not provide for us a beautiful place to live? And has he not skilled people with the gifts of being able to draw it, photograph it, design it, create it, make it, and even be it? So essentially, a desire for beauty is equally as important as, say, a desire for family or food or knowledge. Because after all, we all were created to dwell together in community. And God did provide us a delicious array of food options to choose from. And knowledge, well, yet we all have a mind and we all love to learn and think. These desires aren't wrong, bad, or evil. They're good and beautiful and necessary for life. But left unchecked can cause chaos. On a Saturday morning, I attend the local harvest market here in town. And there is this beautiful flower stand selling local wildflowers. And uh, every Saturday as I leave the market and I can't take one of those bunches home with me, my desire struggles. But can you imagine the trouble I'd get in if I arrived home with a car full of flowers and no food for the week? Yeah, that might cause some family chaos that wouldn't have just consequences for me, but perhaps consequences for my whole family. And that's not the world God ordered for me to live in. His purpose for me wasn't that I would be a chaos causer. His purpose was that I would live inside his ordered world so that I'd be safe for myself and for my community, so that our dwelling together would be good, harmonious, 
and at peace with all of his creation. But that doesn't mean that I still don't struggle. Unsatisfied desires can be really hard to live with. And so even I, we share a struggle. What to do with desire? She may have chosen in her own thinking to stay silent about it and eat her fruit and live with the consequences. But those consequences didn't just end up touching her, did they? They've reached out to touch everyone and everything. Well, maybe I've learnt to walk away from the flower stall and buy the groceries instead, but I still struggle and often in silence. Because who really wants to hear that you struggle with a bunch of flowers every Saturday morning? But that judgment causes silence, which causes struggle. And maybe if we could be more open to our struggles with desires, then there wouldn't be so much silence. And maybe there'd be less chaos causing consequences if we could know people better and embrace some authenticity because it doesn't really matter if one person is drowning in 10 centimetres of water or if another person is drowning in 10,000 metres of water, they're both still drowning. The struggle is still the same and has the same result. Silence can turn into hiding. Genesis 3.8. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees in the garden. You see, I'd probably want to hide too if I came home on a Saturday morning with a car full of flowers and no food. So Eve and I, we both need help. And thankfully, God has an answer for us both. In Genesis 3.14, it says, The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you among all animals and among all wild creatures. Upon your belly you shall go and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. So where do I take my unfulfilled Saturday morning desire? To the one who will strike this serpent's head. This cunning serpent, this chaos-causing, desire-inflaming schemer who prowls the earth, we're told, just looking for someone to devour. And how does this serpent devour? What strategy does he use? Well, so often it's our desires, especially unsatisfied ones. 
Why? Because they make us question God's motives towards us. So this morning, I'd like to welcome you to our series called Desire. A series about how we all, like Eve, struggle with something. Can you name yours? You're something that has, is, or will cause you some chaotic thinking. You are not alone. During this series, we'll meet others. Some we might have even called heroes of the faith, who like Eve had an opportunity to live their lives by God's defined good, but chose instead to follow what they could see and take for themselves, causing all kinds of chaos that sadly some we still live with today. So come with us on this journey through the pages of the Bible as we follow desire's thread till we find our promised desire keeper, whom we know as Jesus, the fulfiller of all desire.